Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Gordon versus Moyane, hashtag local lockdown, hashtag Jeff Makubo, hashtag public protector, hashtag the DA. Indeed, Kevin, good evening to you too. Hope we have a good show. Now we need to talk about this commission. We certainly will be talking about this commission. In fact, it will be the first conversation. Moyane's legal team cross-examines Gordon at Zondo Commission. Ms. Matsiri Somaida, who is the journalist at Eyewitness News, is on the line to... Madia, I beg your pardon. It's spelled M-A-I-D-A here. I beg your pardon, Matsidiso. Matsidiso Madia, journalist at EWN. The viewpoint on Song is Amabekle's first story this week, weekend rap. Gordon versus Moyane, stroke, Dalimbofu. What did you make of that? Good evening. What a mess. What a circus, you know? Um, it's interesting because you all know that the two of them went in with so much I'm not going to describe it as baggage, but issues with each other. So to see it actually play out at the commission, where you almost forget for a second why they are there, to watch this dramatic tense back and forth between these two, and the exchanging of words, it was really heated at times. And I'm, I feel a little bit sad, sorry, because I couldn't watch it the entire day. In fact, as I speak to you now, I'm actually going to go back to watch a little bit more. Some will argue that it was riveting television. I keep saying, is it a circus? I'm never sure what to make of it. <laughs> I just felt that at times it was quite irritating to sit and yeah. watch because you've got Mbofu who interjects, Gordon is not answering the question and answers things he's not being asked and doesn't want to stop talking. And I think even at times the Deputy Chief Justice is somewhat running a bit fatigued now. Just even him, he was at times struggling con- to contain Dali or the witness in Pravin. And it's interesting because um, the Deputy Chief Justice, from what I've observed over the, the, the months this, this commission has run, is an incredibly patient human being. So when that kind of person is tested, and you've seen the kind of witnesses that have appeared before who can't remember anything, who can't say anything in case they incriminate themselves, we've seen him be patient with really the most ridiculous testimonies. So I'm not surprised that he was tested. I think it's interesting, though, watching um, Dali and Pravin, because, you know, the last time, I remember the last time Pravin Godin testified before the commission, and I remember the general feel that many had uh, saying to me that, oh, no, he delivered a textbook. You know, he schooled us on what state capture is. And so it's interesting watching him again where he's giving, he testified on things he had no knowledge of. He testified in hearsay and he comes up today. I think it amplified the the value, the importance of cross-examination, you know, of some of the things that we've heard. Um, If you recall, people made fun of taking mental testimony because when she was taken to the Gupta house, she couldn't really match things, couldn't remember things. So it's important for whatever versions are being placed before us as a country to be tested. For me, that was the most fascinating thing. Just some of the concessions that you heard. And, and yes, you know, I agree with you, by and large, the back and forth is irritating. I saying sometimes we felt like, is this a circus? What is happening? Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting thing where 
you also get to see who Pavin Godan is, you know. Um, people don't understand the enigma that is PG, politically speaking. And I think you got glimpses of that, you know. We hear that it's safety, I think we saw it today. So in, in, in some ways, for me, it was interesting on that level. And also what concessions were made. But, um, yeah, I still agree with you. <laughs> I found some aspects of it interesting. And like I said, I didn't manage to sit still the entire day and watch the whole, um, the whole um, engagement. I'm going to pick up more or less off in the afternoon now. Now, you know that they've agent for the day. Yeah, I mean, you just took me back to the book of Proverbs 18, verse 17. The first to speak in court always seems right until his opponent begins to question him. Proverbs 18, verse 17. And it's true probably for Pravin Gordon because the first time he went to the State Caption Commission of Inquiry anyway to give his evidence, he was basically just telling what he knew. He wasn't under any cross-examination. And that adage or that biblical verse is true today because you talk about the enigma that is Pravin Gordon. Suddenly we get to see aspects of him which do not paint him in glowing light. And I think many people might say it's about time because he, for whatever reason, has enjoyed, if you like, a favorable spin to his name whereas when you really just sort of peel underneath the skin a bit some of the things that have been attached to him are not nearly as glowing in fact if he had another name he would have been one whose blood would have been paid for that's very true i always say to people a politician is a politician is a politician but the error we make and i think the media is i think now i'm veering off into a different conversation but i generally feel as media practitioners, very often we also fall into the trap of the so-called good guy versus the bad guy. And I always say, not in politics. I find it very difficult to believe that such binaries should be applied when you're dealing with binaries when you're dealing with politics. Purely because they're all politicians. I've always said you need to go back to the the, the Prime Garden's career if you're trying to understand who he is. Because, you see, his first major appointment from SARS was by Jacob Zuma. So if we're all going to agree with every, everyone else who says, well, Zuma appointed people who are amenable, why can't that apply to Kevin? Why can't he be also like the rest of being an imperfect politician? And I think, as you're saying now, when the layers peel, then you've got to realize, and I think that as a voting population, we've got to be a little bit more discerning about our politicians. And I think that's what fake has actually given us. You know, the idea that there are good guys with bad guys has really been found to be flawed. You think back to people like Nkantanene, who people thought would be on reproach. Then you realize, you know, here's a man falling on his own sword. Vincent Smith, there are many people from those testimonies that people thought were the perfect and the ideal, the so-called good guys. And you realize that there is no such, that narrative is equally dangerous when you're dealing with politics. So for, for, from, from my perspective, that's what this is a part of. You know, watching President today is part and parcel of what South Africans need to be mindful of when they're dealing with politicians. We need to be more discerning. We need to expect better, but we need to have our eyes wide open and go beyond slogans to understand who and what we're dealing with when we're dealing with politicians. There's another politician that we have to speak about given the, the revelations of last week. Jeff Makubo, mayor of the city of Johannesburg. The <laughs> yeah, silence has yeah. certainly been deafening. How can 35 million rand in payments made into his private company when he was at relevant material times, the majority of that money, if not all of it, happening when he was the MMC for finance, he then returns a couple of years later as the mayor of that same city. And right now there isn't even the slightest indication that his job is under threat. Of course, I'm not surprised. What are your thoughts on that? I think you and I are in the same boat. There's no surprise, yeah. There are no surprises on how the NC approaches its 
city members. It's even more concerning as they battle the idea of step aside versus step down, which they really have, it has moved, you know, that stuff. But um, the Jeff Makubu story is interesting because a couple of months ago, you were cleared of any wrongdoing, of any conflict of interest by the ANC in Gauteng. They put him to the Integrity Commission and they said, no, they didn't find him to have been in conflict with regards to, um, I think it was a, um, and, and one of the, the companies that you've done, I think it was Regiments, one of the companies that you've been doing dealings with. Mm. And these companies have been doing dealings with when you have finance MNC. So the thing comes back again. And the one thing that struck me the most around the Jeff Makubu story was images of ANC members saying fundraising for the ANC is not a crime. I'm talking to people who are also very close to the mayor, and I said to them, but what about, let's say, let's say your argument is true. Let's say mm. he wasn't doing it for himself, but he got commissioned. Does that not bother you? And they run around in circles of ways not to explain it. In fact, they'd rather speak to you about the character of the man and how great he is and how he's done this for so many people. And on the board, he's a decent human being. I said, yes, yes, yes. All those things are potentially true. All those things are likely to be true. But that doesn't take away from the questions that we must have over his own state capture um, testimony. That doesn't make sense. When he was running in circles, he's a very smart man, well-educated, and he knew from where I stand, he must have known that the things that you're saying didn't make sense. You're running around in circles to avoid the very truth that is staying right at you, that actually there is an issue. How is it that you struggle to resign? But you went into this government position with your company, still doing business with this. So for me, there's just way too many questions and too many gaps, even after we've heard from Jeff. But I think the most concerning is the ANC. We did hear that the ANC in the region, in Johannesburg, is asking the ANC in Gauteng to kind of revisit the issue. But that doesn't look like it will happen anytime soon with the ANC in Gauteng. The Secretary, uh, Jacob Kyle, saying, let's wait for the commission to end. So they're keeping the football further down the road and then going to wait. Not taking action now, no, not at all. And as you are saying, it's not surprising. Um, how dare they take action against the Jeff, who's nearly a regional chairperson, when they're struggling with what? Uh, the Secretary General is facing 21 counts of corruption. So it's a really difficult space where you're seeing a party that is stuck and incapable, really, of dealing with people with clouds hanging over their heads, even if it means putting them aside, suspending them, and then trying to get the job done. Some will argue that you've got the likes of Kusala Diko and as well as Bandi Masuku, particularly Bandi Masuku, being punished for merely having allegations leveled against them. But this is not applied across the board, as you can see. So I'm not too sure, you know? I'm not too sure what to make of it. But the one thing I agree with is that I'm not surprised that nothing is happening. Let's move on. And for those who want to participate in the conversation, please, Ms. Matsidi So Madia, who is a journalist at EWN, is on the line for another seven or so minutes. We're talking about all things that have happened in the last couple of days since Thursday. In fact, Gordon versus Moyane was today. Jeff Makubo was last week. Let's talk, please, about the local lockdown. And for those who want to talk about anything else, 011-714-2006 is the number to dial. Remember that 90 seconds will start ringing as soon as you start speaking. And on the 91st second, you will be cut out. I'm not even going to try and engage into a debate about this because it gets me into <laughs> trouble every single time. I give one person two seconds, I give another one 30 seconds, 90 seconds, that's it. It's not in my control, it's that in the hands of Phineas, our technical producer. Lockdown, level three potentially for hotspots in the December break. Let's be honest, is that even practical in South Africa in December? 
depends on who you're talking to, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the Facebook side of me says absolutely impossible. Um, the part of me that's concerned about the economy says it's not a viable decision. Our economy is battered and bruised. You know what the ratings agencies have done, S&P, and I think it was S&P and Fitch recently saying, actually, the outlook remains really poor. In trouble, we, we, sank, we sank further into junk status, deeper into junk status. So the economy does not need a lockdown. But our behavior, and that's the other side of me that is also looking at the pictures and listening to the numbers. I mean, over the weekend, I heard that there were 10,000. I'm not 110% sure about the number, but I heard something along the lines of almost 10,000 cases over the weekend. And we've been seeing the reports of what's happening in the Eastern Cape. We've listened to the Western Cape Premier, Ellen Windy, who's now negotiating with whether or not mini lockdowns are possible. You know, he's worried about what's happening in the garden route. So um, we want to say it's impractical because we are a festive-loving nation. We love December. We love to December. But 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 what we're seeing in the hospitals in the Eastern Cape must be an example for all of us to see what is possible. The idea of restrictions around hotspots is not new. I remember when we were moving from level two, a lot of us felt, at least as a Gauteng resident, that part of Gauteng should remain under level two and not move to three. Around June when this was being played around with, and we felt that parts of the Western Cape should also remain at a level two and not move further down, further, 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 yeah, further down the, the ratings of, of the different lockdown levels and similarly with the with parts of the Eastern Cape. Mm. And obviously that didn't happen because part of the reason why they didn't do it, they had argued that the reasons are interconnected, particularly in Gauteng. I remember that example saying they're so interconnected. How do you bar the Kuruleni from Joburg, um, West, West, West Rand from Pretoria? Because you, you cross over the street and you're in the one region. So they spill over, they interact, we move literally from one region to another in a day, in a place like Gauteng. So how do you lock down one under level one and have another one at level five? Practically, they couldn't do it. Hence, they didn't do it. They moved us all together. So it'll be interesting to see what, what they're capable of bringing out now. Moving the country, the idea of moving the country, I know cabinet meets this week, the idea of moving the country back to level three, I don't think is viable because of the economy. That's the biggest issue that our economy needs to work. There have been so many job losses. I don't think we can afford to shed any more jobs as it is. So the economy is a very big issue. In fact, somebody was arguing last week that part of the reason why they're so quiet as the numbers are slow, steadily increasing, is possibly because they have these fears, these great fears about what must happen, what can happen if they shut down an attempt to move us backwards. What happens? Um, there's a bloodbath, you know, as far as jobs are concerned. What do they do? It's a very tricky position. It's a very tricky space to navigate. We've obviously seen other international countries locking down, but I don't think economically we can afford it. Yeah, let's take a voice note. We certainly cannot afford that as a country. And I just verily believe that South Africans are just fatigued. Rightly or wrongly, we are just fatigued. Not nearly of the mm, health protocols mm. we are following now are those that are consistent with what we were doing in the early days of March and April this year. Let's take a voice note. Let's take a call on Fundo in the Eastern Cape after the voice note as we look to wrap up the show, which is hashtag we can wrap with Ms. Matsiri Somaida, who is a journalist at Eyewitness News. What what worries me with the Zonda Commission is, is it, it, it's starting to ring the sensitive bellers when I watched the Gulf War on CNN TV years ago, years and years ago. Um, 
it just eventually became like a soap opera. I don't know what impact it's having. Um, yeah, it's it's not casting a, a real good reflection on things. So yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, um, I don't know what kind of example it's setting, Dave Bathurst. Thank you so much, David Bathurst in the Eastern Cape, or is it Dave Bathurst being his surname? I hope it's from the Eastern Cape where the big pineapple is, because then I can just call you my homie, Port Alfred boy here. Mfundo in the Eastern Cape, good evening. Good evening, John. No, man, I, I just want to comment on the state capture as well. Mm. Uh, uh, you know what, I find problem with the whole thing. I, I, I don't know, I think I'm one of the few who will take the whole exercise very uh, seriously, because I found it to be very subjective. Uh, I have an issue because since uh, its inception, I'm still yet to see a single business person, a prominent one, because where the corruption is involved, there's a corruptor. But what is funny is that, look at the, the likes of Stainoff, no one is implicated. He didn't even ask about 10 South Africans. I don't know, 10 would never even tell who the CEO of Stainoff yet. They milked us billions of, of, of milked billions of the citizens, but there's no appetite even from the journalists to, to actually take them to task to say to ask even the hawkers to how far are you guys with the investigations. So this thing is very subjective. I've always known that come the time of the COVID revolution, uh, many people, including TG today, uh, would be found wanting. But my mine uh, as a departing point would love to see it, uh, one day, uh, even before the end of, of, of the whole exercise prominent business people who are actually in charge of the media, who are controlling the media mm-hmm. in this country, brought to book there, coming to, to explain themselves. But we know, we know that the media will not ask those questions because obviously uh, who, control, who controls them? Uh, we know a certain group of, of, of business people <laughs> obviously will not pose these questions. Which is why, which is why then I find the whole exercise to me, uh, it's just, uh, it's Fundo, I did warn you. Thank you very much, Profini, for keeping me honest and everybody else honest. Hopefully, Felix, you won't repeat that mistake. 90 seconds, start now. I am fine. Don't ask. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to say we must just keep good principles and forget about personalities. If you really want to get the truth out of anything in life, it's just about principle. You see, what happened during the consumer's reign? What really happened? That the Guptas can go from government departments to government departments, from SOEs to SOEs, landing their plane, private jets in, in, in Waterkloof, stealing and looting the money of this country. What really happened? And immediately, the consumer left. They disappeared from the country. Any minister that refused to listen to them is fired. It's replaced by all ministers that will listen to the Guptas. What really happened? This is the question. This is the gist of the matter. This is the principle we are trying to talk about. Forget about Pravin. Forget about Tom Moyani. Forget about anybody. Forget about personalities. But focus mainly on principle. What really happened? How did Jacob Zuma sell this country to the Guptas? Gave them protection, and immediately Jacob Zuma left, they disappeared from the country. That is the principle we are trying to find out now. Thank you very much, Felix. Thanks for your thoughts there in Elspreet. Let's go to Naledi Tabo. Good evening. Tabo. Yes, good evening. Thanks for the opportunity. First time caller. Anyway, here are my two uh, uh, questions or inputs. One, I don't think Dalim Bofu is advancing the cost. Yeah, told me, Yami. To me, he came across somebody who's more vindictive than anything trying to come and 
run province down, was playing more of a man than the ball. And his line of questioning was really, really out of line. And, he, you know, I found very, for somebody who's an SC, I, I, it's, it's really a lot to be desired. Anyway, also, how could you come and say, somebody saying to somebody must grow up, that's racism. Really, I mean, he's undermining Ronald Roberts when you should call out racism and not to call racism. Secondly, the issue of unemployment and the issue of foreigners in the country. This is a very serious issue and we're downplaying it. This issue is going to dissipate into other industries and it's going to be difficult to control. Mm. How is it possible for you to get the Minister of Labor and Transport into your studio or through web, webinar or anything to account to the public what's going on? Because all the countries inside the countries, they've declared that no foreigners should take jobs that are capable of being done by their citizens. Why do we, when South Africans raise, raise these issues, people are quick to pull out the xenophobic cut? Thank you so much, Tabo. Let's do what we normally do when we have two first-time callers in one segment. Mpondo in the Eastern Cape and Tabo in Naledi. Two more voice notes, and then we certainly wrap up. We're done with the people who are sitting in their homes. Ms. Matsuri Somadia, who is a journalist at EWN, will respond to these calls, that first voice note, and these two. Yo, Songezo, I, I, you know, I fail to really understand these um, grading people. How are we being downgraded? I mean, like, it's 2020. Like, this is one of those years, man. We just, like... Like, seriously, how is anyone downgrading anybody in 2020? Something is seriously wrong. Like, why is America not downgraded? Have you looked at how many people have died because of this corona? And, and at least we have, hey man, at least we've made it this far. Now we're being downgraded for what? Why? I mean, who finds energy to downgrade someone now? Good evening, Songez Mapek. You know... Whether there is evidence or there's no evidence that Moyan conspired with the Mohawks, at the end of the day, he did. He did, and really, I'm questioning Dalimpofu's uh, uh, credibility and integrity here because how then do you represent such a person? His his reputation is going to be on the line here because I mean, there's so much evidence against Moyan, and obviously. He did sweep other things under under the carpet, and if people he can just come forward, but then people are scared of being killed because you know how these people operate. They will shoot you dead like a dog. <laughs> As for Pravin Gordon and his arrogance, <laughs> mm, that showdown it really it was really irritating. As for Makuo, these are the ANC stooges, man. We need to get rid of them. South Africa, let's unite. The clever blacks. Well, those are South Africans' <laughs> thoughts. Very raw, very heartfelt. You want to wrap this up, please, Matsidi? So, because, I mean, South Africans, <laughs> frankly speaking, are right to feel the way that they do, and they are fed up. It's evident in their indignant voices. Absolutely. Um, I think the, the way South Africans feel must never, ever be taken from South Africans. But I think South Africans must be a little bit more discerning because the truth is the power really is in our hands. We're the ones who go to the polls. We cast the ballots. We decide 
who must be in charge. We're the ones who then make decisions and afterwards say, oh, there's no alternative. But actually, we can make a determination of what the alternative needs to look like. If we are fed up, I mean, you know, I must actually very quickly point this out. So there was a story around a former MEC in Pumalanga who was suddenly readmitted as a PEC member in the executive committee there, only for Jesse Duarte to speak to eyewitnesses and Batavide Dramini, and then had these people rescind the decision. Was it not for public outrage mm? Jesse Duarte the DSG saying the outrage is justified? They wouldn't have done anything. So we need to be mindful of who we put in charge of this country. We need to pay attention to the decisions they make. And when we go to the polls, when the power's back in our hands, like we had it last year, like we will have it next year, we need to be very careful with what we are thinking. Um, that's just my very quick takeaway from how Americans feel. I think it's justified, but we also need to do our part. Um, it's not a one-way street. We have some power. We have some capacity to change the picture. And when it's our turn, we have to take it seriously. We've got to think about what we want for this country. Fantastic. Let's leave it there. Thank you then so much, Ms. Maida, who is the journalist at EWN. That was then hashtag the weekend wrap here on SAFM's Viewpoint. The time is 20.37, slightly behind schedule. But after the break, Mr. Aleph Muhlenberg, who is the CEO at Africa Tukun, will be on the line talking to us about 16 days of activism and how South Africa missed an opportunity to stand firm against GBV. And that Mbumalanga example is a case in point after the break.